Welcome to Nine to Thrive, the well-being podcast. I'm Julie Fisher, your host and positive psychology practitioner, coach, and well-being advocate. Here, you will find meaningful and lively conversations with experts, where we explore the challenges to maintaining a strong sense of well-being, along with providing tips, tools, and strategies to thrive and flourish in our ever-changing and complex world. If you're ready to create more harmony, cultivate deeper connections, foster a greater sense of well-being, and live the life you long for, then you're in the right place. Thanks so much for being here. Let's begin our journey together. Welcome to Nine to Thrive, the well-being podcast, episode three, with the one and only Melanie Curtis. <laughs> Welcome. Hey, I'm thrilled to be here. Let's do this. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you here. Let's tell you a little bit about Melanie. Melanie Curtis is a world record pro skydiver, which we're definitely diving into. Keynote speaker, coach, author, activist. She's been tapped as an expert by the likes of Forbes and Fast Company and CBS and NBC. She facilitates and coaches teams to wield fear and flow state and other F words. I love that. Softening perfectionism and blind performance that becomes our prison, if not balanced with deeper healing and hilarity. Definitely want to touch on that. Um, She's a teammate for type A clients. She's authored three books, including How to Fly, which is available on Audible. She has co-founded Highlight, an all-female professional demonstration jump team. She's co-founded the Trust the Journey podcast. And she is a passionate advocate for legal, safe, and equitable access to transformational healing through psychedelic plant medicines. Welcome, Melanie. Yeah, thank you, Julie. Mm. I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm always don't know what to say after hearing my own bio. I'm like, whoa, how did I do all that? Mm. Or or like more like, how old am Mm. I? (laughs) For me, when I read a bio, it's such a moment to savor Mm. the goodness. Sometimes I think it's hard to take in all that goodness and sit and savor and say, yeah, "Yeah, that's me. I did that. One of Brene's things, which I love is how she points to that joy is the most vulnerable emotion where it can be interestingly complex of a feeling to be really deeply joyful. And so like there's this notion of foreboding joy that as soon as we start to feel joy, we immediately feel fear of loss and there's this complexity to it. So it's quite brave to really let ourselves fully feel into joy. I totally agree. Sometimes it's as hard to hold joy as it is to hold grief. Yep. Yes. So today we're going to talk about fear. So much goodness to unpack in fear. And I want to begin by stating the biological obvious. We're wired to to detect and feel fear. The oldest part of our brain responsible for our fight or flight response is there to keep us safe and has protected us as a species for thousands of years. Absolutely. And although we aren't running from a saber tooth anymore, and in fact, I would say we are probably more in threat mode than we are in trust mode. Sure. The difference is today, we're mostly in psychological and emotional threat. Or for someone like you who jumps out of planes, maybe physical threat. Mm-hmm. So someone says something mean or my partner's distant or my boss puts a meeting on my calendar without any explanation. There's a pandemic. We watch the news every night. Mm -hmm. We go into fear. And our instinct based on this fight, flight or freeze is to move as quickly as possible out of that feeling. Mm-hmm. We want to bypass that feeling to get back to comfort and what we think is safety. Yeah. I mean, gosh, there's a million places that we could go with this topic. I immediately 
acknowledge and validate that for people. I'm a life coach going on 20 years now. The number one thing we can do for other humans who are having any kind of emotional challenge is to simply acknowledge and validate their experience and allow them to be the human that they are such that we can meet that feeling or that experience or that conflict with in ourselves. So learning the skill of self-validation, acknowledge and validate. Why is this understandable? Why does it make sense? Why is it normal that a person in this situation would feel this way? Gosh, I mean, my skydiving career, of course, and my public speaking career puts me in situations and just to Julie, also being a person, being a human in relationship. Yeah. Being Being a business person, an entrepreneur, a creative, like those are inherently rich with risk and putting ourselves out there in all these kinds of various forms. And so why I point to that in connection to the conversation around fear is that it's a way to become masterful with navigating that feeling. It's also a way to not be so afraid of fear, not be as afraid of our feelings. And so that's a big reason or not a big reason per se, because I cannot credit myself with the consciousness. I mean, I started skydiving when I was 18 years old. I had no idea who I was or why I was doing things, right? But it's more that in retrospect, in reflection on my life and career, and now how I serve, what I speak about, how people actually heal through the work that we do in coaching and that type of supportive space is that it's very clear that I have become masterful with that feeling. I don't like it. I still don't like it. It's just that I know that I can handle it, which frees me in a different way because I'm a person. I'm going to feel fear for the rest of my life. I'm wired that way. Saber tooth tigers are not. So, yeah. Yes. And I think we need to know it. We need to name it in order to navigate it. Mm -hmm. And so it's going through all of those stages of not being afraid to know what it is and what it really is, right? What's underneath. I'm afraid to jump out of the plane. What I'm really afraid of when I think about it, I'm afraid of my perceived loss of control. Mm -hmm. So to me, can I really name what's going on there? Yep. Can I sit in that? And can I sit with that part of me and feel all of those feelings and whatever comes up, inadequacy, you know, smallness, whatever that feeling is, can I sit with that? That's how we iterate through the sort of working with that feeling is that that's a when we talk about being a growth minded person is that we self select into experiences that challenge us. So my whole life, I don't know if you've ever heard the term type two fun. (laughs) No, please tell. (laughs) I love this. I feel like when I learned the term type two fun, I was like, oh my God, my whole life makes sense. Basically type one (laughs) fun is fun while it's happening. You're delighted. You're in your comfort zone. You're laughing. Type two fun is basically only fun after it's over, meaning it's kind of miserable in between, like doing world records, not fun. I hate to break it to you, peeps listening. They are extremely rigorous, extremely scary, extremely just physically, mentally, emotionally, super, super, super hard. But afterwards, you feel like, dang, I did that. Whoa, I did that. Dang, I learned this. I learned that. And wow, my mind is the exploding head emoji. You know, so that's type two fun. Most of my life, I've been doing type two fun type things, even being a business person, you know, putting myself out there as a writer. uh, You know, all of those things are rife with discomfort. Yes, grueling when you're doing them. Mm -hmm. and really uncomfortable and the high of completion is amazing. 
Yeah. Yes. Only by being out there on the edge of discomfort, do we actually get the expansion of the edge? It's interesting when I think of high performance people who you coach, I think of people who are growth edge junkies. They become comfortable with the discomfort of living on the growth edge. Yep. Yes. I want to back up because I do want to know what brought you to the skies initially. Yeah. What brought you up in that plane at 18 (laughs) saying, I think I want to jump out of a plane. Yeah, that's a good question. It's in my family. My dad is a pilot. We have literally an airport at my house. It's a grass strip called Curtis Airfield at my dad's house. So I grew up around aviation and my dad's still, he's still a pilot today, single engine aircraft. Back in the day, his best friend, still his best friend, he was a skydiver, Jack, who was my first skydiving instructor. They basically said, ah, let's let's open a drop zone at the house. They're just like winging it as young people, creating stuff from nothing. And I, I really value that as an example, to be honest. There's plenty of stuff <laughs> from our childhood that I would say, okay, yes. I, could, I could do without that example. My dad, he's a very entrepreneurial person. I very much get that from him. He's absolutely I love a that. quote unquote character, as it were. <laughs> so I'm very much a mix of my mom and my dad. My mom is very lovely and quirky and kind, like the nicest person you'll ever meet. And my dad is the one who sort of lives out on the edges and the fringe and is willing to do that. But anyway, so yeah, that's how I started skydiving. I was exposed to it. So there were first jump courses going on at my dad's house. And I would sit in the first jump course. And one day when I was 18, I just said, man, I'm sick of being scared. I want to do this and I'm scared and I'm sick of feeling scared. And then the next day I sat through the first jump course in such a way that I knew I was going to go. And I did. And sort of the rest is proverbially history. So from that first jump, you were hooked. I was one and done. It absolutely. As soon as I left the aircraft, as soon as I landed, I was fundamentally altered. Like I didn't know it, right? Mm. I'm 18. I don't even know who I am at this stage. I'm a very self-reflective person. I'm highly growth-minded. I'm highly into my own healing, my own self-awareness work. And so I've taken the time and made the effort to really consider myself as a young person and what motivated me. I was a very anxious young girl. I mean, anxiety is the number one challenge that I experience as a person. Again, becoming more and more masterful with it, adding more and more tools and skills into my toolbox so I can navigate it so much better than I have historically been able to. But that extreme experience, like being in something so immersive and so radically meditative and brings you radically into the present, like skydiving, those things, you know, and creativity. I've always been a very creative Mm. person. I was singing in the school shows and I leapt off the stage singing my solo. And it's just more like, it's not that I needed to do that, but it's more the notion of this very, really radically present experiences when you are fully in flow and you're fully in something. So I've really sought those experiences as antidote to anxiety for a long, long time. And so now I'm in the skill set building of like, okay, how do I rest now that I can, right? Now that I'm not blindly achieving, now that I'm not desperately seeking love from external sources, how am I now going to build a skill set of what does balance look like to me? So all those things are, are things I'm working on now as a person. Yeah. It's quieting the growth edge junkie. Yep. Absolutely. (laughs) A little bit, right? Absolutely. She doesn't have to be the driver all the time. Exactly right. I love that. 
I've heard you say, if fear is going to stop me from doing something, I have to at least question whether that fear is right, which I love that notion because there are, there are real things to be afraid of in the world. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think there's usually also something like I talked about it before. If I'm afraid of jumping out of a plane, there's something beneath that. Right. It's not just at that level. Right. I'm wondering. So you're 18, you jump out of the plane, you're hooked. (laughs) And I'm guessing at that point, you weren't overly analytical (laughs) about that. So let's talk about how did you get to the place where you were really curious about fear? Hmm. Yeah. You know, there's a thing that happens and I am, like I mentioned, I'm now a life coach, but I wasn't immediately into that. It was more that I had this Mm -hmm. experience. I became a professional skydiver. I'm skipping over big parts of the story, but that's fine. People can (laughs) go to my website and check it out. I had this experience. I was working at a drop zone. I had quit my investment banking job. I had spent all the money getting good at skydiving and I had become a professional skydiver, basically running a drop zone in Southern California, doing their events and marketing, but also growing as a competitor. I was supported. I was a fully sponsored athlete. I was a coach. I was growing in all these ways in the sport. And I was wildly, wildly happy about this. Like I was a radiant Mm -hmm. ball of light, just an unstoppable force. I was so in love with what I was doing. And that's a large part of of why I became an actual leader in the sport of skydiving is that nothing could stop me. I was that in love with it. And so fast forward, I'm living this dream life. I'm being paid a salary to work at a skydiving center and compete and coach and all this stuff. And I'm walking across the drop zone one day And I'll never forget this moment. I just had this intuitive hit where it wasn't like a Mack truck moment, like, boom, I'm suddenly enlightened. It was more like, hey, hey," you know, like just a tickle sort of in the back of my mind, just a little tingle down my neck and shoulder. I'm not joking. And it was basically this knowing that even though I was wildly happy doing this, I knew that if this was all that I did, I wouldn't be happy. And so thank goodness I listened to that intuitive hit. And I was like, okay, well, well, dang, if I don't do this, this, this professional skydiver pro athlete thing like this, what would I do? You know, like, what do I like? What am I good at? It sent me into this internal inquiry and I really leaned into it and I brainstormed. I wrote down all the things. I literally wrote down what a life coach is without knowing that life coaching was without saying this is a life coach. Yes. Correct. Yes. I was basically like, I don't know, kind of like a friend that people pay to talk to on the phone, like, (laughs) which I know a life coach now is way more than that. But that's basically what I wrote down. And I eventually through Internet research and talking to people and making this effort, I discovered that life coaching existed. I found it online. I was like, immediately, I'm like, ugh, life coaching. What? I was like, no. I was like, this is stupid. This is either, this is like a total scam, clearly BS. Clear, who would be a quote life coach? Right. I'm like, no. Right. <laughs> then again, totally right. So you, you, okay. So, Here's my story. You're jumping out of planes and teaching people. And you're like, this is woo woo. This sounds yeah. like so woo woo. Yeah. I mean, this is that back is in joke. 2007, right? I mean, life coaching was not accepted. It was not a known no. thing at all. And so on the same thread of, of trusting and listening to our intuition, I also had an intuitive read on this weird thing called life coaching, where I was like, Mm. 
okay, either this is a total BS scam or it's part of my calling, which I was like, oh, this is so annoying. I'm like, well, if there's even a chance that it's a part of my calling, oh, I better at least figure out if it's a real thing. And so anyway, long okay, story short, so I found so- a friend who had done it and I was like, wow, it's it's on. <laughs> okay. So what's so interesting is that you weren't attracted to it, yet I also hear you saying you didn't resist it. You know, I just, you know how it is when you are called towards something, but you've got preconceived yes. limiting beliefs in front of it. I believed that this was not a thing, that this is not something that people would pay for, right? Just like skydiving. Mm. Many people believe I can't jump out of a quote unquote, perfectly good airplane. And I say the, the thing missing from that sentence is not just, oh, I can't jump out of a perfectly good airplane. It's I can't jump out of a perfectly good airplane and live right? And not die or not get seriously injured. Like there's some high cost consequence connected to the, I can't do that. But of course, those limiting beliefs around life coaching came up. Yes. Yes. And you met a friend and you did it. Yeah. And basically this friend confirmed with me as soon as she confirmed it, it was basically the next big leap in my life where I spent $9,000. I like basically swiped my credit card over the phone for $9,000. I did not have. And I took a chance Mm. that this was the right path for me. And clearly it has been. But as soon as I committed, I had this wash over me of like, this is right. I love that. Yeah, that deep inner knowing, that feeling Mm -hmm. of almost I've arrived home, that feeling of coming back to self. The other thing I've heard you say is when it comes to healing, what holds us back the most is that we don't think we need it. And oh, yeah, (laughs) I totally agree with this. And I want to qualify by saying the way I would say it is we all have a story that we don't need it, right? The story we're telling ourselves is that we don't need that. And throwing in a little conscious leadership from 15 Commitments to Conscious Leadership, what they would say is so many of our fears are around sourcing things outside of ourselves, primarily safety and security, approval and control. There are very few people who aren't sourcing something outside of lives. We're all human. We live in community and we are interconnected in all of these relationships and we are sourcing to varying degrees. I think I would say based on how you grew up and your family of origin and where you live and all of those things probably help determine how much you're sourcing. And I would also say how much work you've done. Mm -hmm. And so what prevents people is this perceive of, I don't need it. And I think underneath it sometimes is I'm so afraid of what I'm going to uncover for sure that I don't want to go there. Absolutely. What do you think moves people out of that story to say, I really do want to heal? Yeah. I don't want to live like this anymore. Great question. You know, it's funny. I just delivered a big talk on the stage. It's like a TED style talk. It wasn't a TED talk, but it was a very TED like experience where we have X number of minutes to (laughs) powerfully deliver a message that matters to us. And mine was about this concept about when it comes to healing, what holds us back the most is we don't think we need it. And in my story, I didn't even know deep emotional healing was a thing, much less that I needed it. It was an absolute blind spot to me. And so I think first people can benefit from learning about blind spots that we all have them, that we are not 
ever these fully enlightened, wildly self-aware beings like, yeah, I've grown in self-awareness. And I also know there's plenty that still resides in my blind spots. And instead of being connected to this and having an expectation around or an attachment to this notion that at some point I will be quote unquote healed versus I am a human growing and yes, on a journey yep. mm-hmm. right on a journey, yes, on a for journey. Sure. it's not a destination mm-hmm. i always say to my clients it's not a destination mm-hmm. we're not going to get to nirvana hopefully we continue to stay open to all of the wisdom all the mirrors that are being held up for us all of the wisdom of that journey yeah there's an interesting freedom that comes when we accept that we will potentially never get rid of a pain point that we Mm -hmm. want to get rid of. I'm not saying that we can't get rid of that pain point. I'm not suggesting that Mm because there has been, there are so many different amazing stories in the lane, in the realm of healing, in my story alone, but in many, many people that I've had the honor to bear witness to their journey as a life coach, but also in the lane of, of deeper work with plant medicines and stuff like that. There are so many anecdotal stories that support that transform formative healing is possible, things that we never thought we could free ourselves from, we're able to. But it's also, I think for me, it came with me finally getting to this point where I'm like, if this never, ever changes for me, how could I find peace in my life? How could I be okay with this if it literally in this lifetime never changes? And that's a baller. We talk about being a badass and like tough work, scary stuff. Try that stuff on for size. Yes. And my experience is part of this shift, Mel, is moving from sourcing outside to sourcing within. Amen. Right. So can I stop looking outside and where I am hijacked by fear? I'm hijacked by so much more fear when I'm looking outside. Mm -hmm. And if I can do my work and I can have coaches and therapists who hold mirrors for me and friends and loving people in my life, if I can be open to continually looking and softening and navigating To your point, some of those places that maybe are so deep and so painful that may never fully heal. Yep. And can I touch those with tenderness, right? Can I relate to them differently? For me, I know part of my sourcing, that that idea of how do I source more of my own psychological safety, it has been befriending the parts of me as opposed to fighting the parts of me. Yeah. So befriending the little one in me who was rewarded for playing small yep, and loving her and accepting her for exactly who she was Mm -hmm. and the part of her that I carry with me. Yep. Right. That part of her that's always going to be in me. I, I love that idea of Seeing that healing process as a going within and shifting from sourcing externally to sourcing internally. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about, because a lot of what you do with high performance people is you do work with the whole relationship of fear and innovation. And I think of innovation as creativity. There's a creativity piece in there. There's a curiosity piece. And that whole idea of a when you're living on that growth edge, fear and innovation are literally living side by side. Whether that be in our work or in our life, in our relationships, in all of it, if we're opening ourselves up. So I think one thing to point to, and I you touched on this a little bit earlier about 
how do people get out of that story? If the story is, I don't need that healing stuff or, oh yeah, healing's cool, but I'm good. I don't need that. To quickly answer your question, which we'll go into answering this, this next one, how people tend to get out of that story is they are in enough pain. They have to be in enough pain. It's rare that people are motivated by possibility even though it can feel really cool to take on and mentally and emotionally connect to the idea that your future could be different. That's cool. It's usually not motivating though enough for people to actually step into the spaces where you mentioned are you're going to potentially find stuff that and you're going to open doors in your your psyche your emotional body your spiritual body that you don't know what you're going to find that is understandably terrifying Right? Really so, freaking scary. And yeah. So it is the classic. And I see this even in people who come to life coaching all the time. The pain of staying the same has to be greater yep. than the pain of changing. Yep. Most of us are resistant to change because change is putting us in discomfort. Yeah. And yet the pain of staying there, the discomfort of that mm-hmm. is so much greater. Yeah. 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 And, and, so, and I make up that we've used all of our tools to avoid. So our <laughs> right. avoidance tools. Yeah. Or we've all, used we've used all of our tools to navigate. I mean, this is the whole yes. notion of why would I work with the type A's of the world that are stuck in the prison of perfectionism is because that right. was me. I was absolutely unconsciously stuck in the prison of I have to perform. I have to be performative. I have to be the straight A student. And oh, my God, if I am crushing it on the stage and I'm doing all the things, I will avoid the pain of rejection, the pain of not being loved, Mm. the pain of all these deep things that sound very cliche when we talk about them. But when we deeply connect to the pain of that deeper thought of I'm not enough, right? I'm not good enough or I am unlovable. That stuff is really, really painful when we really Really go there, right? And so it's brave to look at, to look at those things with actual real intention, with real willingness to feel through what's there and try to discern what's at the root that might need back to your pointing to the IFS, the internal family systems of parts work of like the part of me that is wounded in that way, that little girl that's inside me that needs my love. I'm an adult now. I am very capable of loving 12-year-old me or five-year-old me. I can also discern when my response, my emotional response in the present outweighs what is warranted for the situation Mm -hmm. that I am in. I know that it is touching back to something historical. This is one of my favorite growth quotes is, if we're hysterical, it's historical. Meaning those feelings. I love that. Whoa. Yeah, those feelings, those fears are the flashlight into the blind spot. We don't know what it is, but if we actually take our emotions and our fears as breadcrumbs to breakthroughs and insights that will help us transform, we can do a lot with that stuff. But if we are constantly in avoidance, if we're constantly in workaholism or overly producing and being productive as an addictive tendency. I mean, addiction, eating disorders, sex addiction, gambling, whatever those things are that momentarily take us out of the discomfort correct and allow us to avoid correct what's happening mm-hmm. okay so you were curious you were on a journey you were doing deep healing work and tell me about the idea that you one day looked and said i want something more and plant medicine was that avenue <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, it's a it's an interesting question, right? Like, okay, so you're kind of doing normal stuff, being <laughs> being a normal. Right, you're person. doing all the things, like right. <laughs> what I would world. say is you're doing all the things, right? Yeah, all the yeah, things yeah. that we talk about doing. Yeah. You know, you've been to therapy, you have coaches, you're, yeah. you're doing all the things, and you're self aware, and yet you come to a point where you decide that you want to go deeper, right? For and sure. So. I just would love to know, did you have fear around it? Ah, The reason I'm laughing is that I think it's hilarious because it is a, (laughs) for me, it's not scary for everyone, but for Mm -hmm. most people uh, it is because of exactly what we've been talking about. You are stepping into the absolute unknown in your own self, in your own psyche. And it's, it's for me, definitely scary. I mean, I was absolutely terrified for sure, for sure. And it's it's, the whole thing about how did I get there? That's because of the pain, the, because Mm -hmm. of the pain I was in, I was like, I also don't F around, right? Julie, you know me. I don't mess around. I will do the therapy. I will go to the retreat thing. I will read the books. I will listen to the podcast. I will do it. I am not a lazy person. I love to engage fully and deeply in my life and and in my own growth and healing. And so having done all that and then still to have had experiences that left me in serious pain, hysterical, mm. historical. It was obvious that I was still missing something. How I got to plant medicine specifically is that my best friend, she owns a healing and retreat center in Florida called the Great Spirit Farm. Mm. And she was doing her own healing with plant medicine, with psilocybin, with high dose mushroom ceremonies, again, facilitated safely with professionals and also deeper work with ayahuasca and expanded healing work with those medicines. I got the front row seat to her Mm. transformation and her healing. Mm. Right. And, Mm. and The type A person of me, I grew up Nancy Reagan, just say no to drugs. The egg was in the frying pan. I was fully. I grew up on that. Yeah. So it speaks volumes about the level of pain that I was in, that I was Mm. willing to go, okay, I guess I'm going to try this thing that seems totally like the wrong thing, that I would never do it. But the pain really prompted me, plus the support and credibility of my best friend and her experiences. I deeply trust her. And I did my very first ceremony with Shannon facilitating me with psilocybin. Mm -hmm. And from there, I, over the years, did ceremonies over time to dig deeper into the pains that Mm -hmm. I was working to heal. And Eventually, another painful experience led me to ayahuasca because I was very afraid of ayahuasca because it is known to be that much more intense. But Mm -hmm. it's undeniably just I could talk for hours and hours and hours about this. It's so transformative. Mm -hmm. So it's so interesting because I have a story. You and I have talked about plant medicine and I have such a curiosity around it. And believe it's definitely in my future. And these are the ways where I see this. I could get into a story that, no, I'm not really all that about control. And these are the ways where I could say from a like at the first, oh, that feels like really, that feels like a very out of control experience. And what am I gripping to, right? Mm -hmm. That whole idea of what am I gripping to? And it's interesting to me, the mirrors that are held for all of us, here you are, you jump out of planes with some, which some people may say, Oh my God, never, (laughs) not ever. I'm so afraid of that. Right. And, and I think really deep down and, and I have a fear of that. I have a fear of physical safety, you know, physical fear of that. And I do think deep down, most of us are most afraid of what's so deeply inside us. Those pain points that can bring us to our knees. 
Absolutely. Right? That whole idea of what makes us hysterical is historical. The things that literally bring us to our knees. And I love that you have carried this growth edge junkie theme through your whole life, even to the place that was the scariest. Yeah. Right? That I can be, I can be brave and afraid. Mm-hmm. And I can do that really, really scary thing. Mm-hmm. And I can come out the other side knowing that much more. Every fear we we walk through, it allows us to say, when we bump up against the next one, oh, I did that. I, I've faced my fears and I've walked through that yeah. and I'm still standing here. And every time we build that muscle, we're building self-efficacy mm-hmm. and our own sense of inner badassery that Definitely. we can actually do the thing that we think we can't do. For sure. And I think to do it, we need to come back to where we started. We need to name it. Mm-hmm. Right. We need to know what's that thing. What is that thing I that think, I'm most afraid of? I think something that is important to put into this conversation before we run out of time, at least from my perspective, how I can uniquely serve people and others and in my sharing of my story is the type A person, the very capable person, mm-hmm. it is in my experience, because again, not everyone's going to share my experience, but my experience with that style of like ways of being where I am again, what am I, what can I control? How can I high achieve to safety? How can I, you know, people please to safety and be perfect. So I am beyond reproach. We can look at that as a type A person and recognize that that doesn't work. And we also can recognize that it is very useful I am very, very in love and I love that part of me because now that I have more self-awareness and more skills, I can deploy that part of me in the ways that I want, being a passionate public advocate for psychedelic plant medicines and being willing to be outspoken on something that is currently in the zeitgeist that is illegal, right? I don't promote doing anything illegal, but I do care to be in service to the movement by using my voice and platform. Where I'm going with this is that that is my strong suit, That is where I am strong and capable and very developed. What I needed to do, what I didn't have access to was that soft center of myself. I had walls, like hard shell, even though I was the nicest, funny, welcoming, inclusive person. That doesn't mean I didn't have a hard ass wall protecting what was really deeply in me. Where plant Mm -hmm. medicine comes in around this is that the way that I describe how ayahuasca initially helped me is that I feel like she and people talk about ayahuasca in a feminine sense as a feminine energy, like grandmother ayahuasca, mother ayahuasca. So that's why I'll refer to her as a she. So what I describe as how she helped me is that at first I feel like she had to take a freaking chisel. She had to really beat me up kick my ass and beat me up, but in a loving way to just crack, to break that shell. And a large part of what happened in my initial ceremonies with psilocybin and ayahuasca is that I was expressing crying tons and tons and tons of unexpressed Mm -hmm. sadness. And I didn't in these early ceremonies was not even given 
a insight, a specificity around what I was crying or, or purging. It was more that mm. you just need to get this out. Like it doesn't matter what it is and what it's about right now. Right now, you just need to feel it and let it go. And so she was starting to give me access to softening in such a way mm. and being seen because Keep in mind, I'm in a ceremony with other people who are witnessing me at my quote unquote worst. Right. Mm. And so in that experience, you're like, wow, the world didn't end when I was seen for this part of me, yeah. this this thing that I thought was unlovable, that was that was absolutely unacceptable. And so you leave going, wow, maybe I can show myself and it's actually going to be a good thing. You know, so you start to inch into being less and less afraid of your feelings. Yes. Being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, Mel, that you bring up. There are so many things, right, that serve us, like serve this one part of our lives. And. I think then we can over-index on them, right? Correct. We're, we're going to say, well, that's serving me. That's serving this part. And therefore, I'm going to I'm gonna just take that into every part of my life. Yeah, correct. <laughs> until that doesn't work anymore. And I'm guessing for a time it works until you get to that pain point where you think, wait a second, this isn't working correct. in this part of my life. And there's this other part of me that has these unattended needs, I would call them. So what I hear you saying is plant medicine allowed you to uncover the pieces of you that were, I'm going to say, afraid to emerge. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. When you are really going to these vulnerable places, it mm -hmm. is critical that you are held in a safe container. Yeah. This is why, you know, when I do, I'm not, I'm no expert on plant medicine, but I am someone right. who can answer certain questions and be in service and helping educate people and whatnot. But the safe container is super critical. This is why I always and only promote doing work with these medicines with trusted professionals and facilitators, because you don't know what you're going to find. You know, you need to make sure you have people there to support you because you may bring up things that you aren't sure how to manage. That is the whole reason to do yes. it with facilitators that understand what can come up in these types of ceremonies and also yes. be able to you coach you around. That. Yeah, can hold that space. So that space. the only reason, again, back to your other question, why and how I was able to finally access plant medicines and, and that work for myself was because even despite my terror, I felt mm -hmm. safe enough with my best friend, Shannon, holding that container for me. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would have been able to do it with anyone who I didn't feel that deeply safe with. So I invite people, if they are considering this for themselves, to absolutely trust that calling, but use it as mm. an, a motivator to learn more, to reach out, to ask mm. questions, to seek and be patient with where you may find the safe container that is right for you. They say mm -hmm. that the medicine calls to you, that when it, when you're ready, the medicine calls to you. And in, in my experience, that's absolutely been true every single time, even in my sort of more experienced state, like last year, mm -hmm. I, I sat with ayahuasca zero times because my last ceremony with her, she was like, you're good, like go integrate. And that's another huge yeah. part of plant medicine where life coaching and integration coaching is super critical, where it's like, we can be like, oh, get all hopped up on going and sitting with plant medicine and doing ceremonies and, and finding insights. But the real work is after the ceremony where we take that insight and we retrench the neural pathways, right? We, we yes. really do the work to change our minds quite literally. We do the work yes. to hold ourselves accountable 
to the new healthy habits, whether it's relationally or in our health or whatever. That stuff is yeah. is absolutely all a part of it and almost more critical than sitting with the medicine in the first place. Yes, right. You you need to you don't do it to to live it just in that safe container. You do it to bring it into your life. Correct. And yes. The benefit is the lived experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, Mel, I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much <laughs> for this. It's been so fun. Okay, Thank so you. learning to navigate our fears is one tool we can use to thrive in this life of ours, in this crazy world we're living in. I'm asking every guest to share their three to thrive. So what three tools or strategies do you use on a regular basis to keep thriving? Yeah, I could always say a million things to this type of thing, but I think it's it it can it sounds so annoying but it's like the basic 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 stuff is i, I got to sleep if i don't mm-hmm. sleep i am way, I'm way more fragile i'm way more emotional so it's like really doing the uncomfortable things that we know set us up for emotional safety for for emotional strength and power so that's one is like the really taking care of our physiology maslow's hierarchies type stuff big 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 stuff i'm a very very human centric person i care deeply about being connected with my people my loved ones it's like really important to me and so caring for and nurturing and prioritizing my most important relationships is a critical part of my well-being and my sense of I am spending my life in the way that I want and that I will be on my deathbed without regret. So it's really for me about my people. And then, you know, I'm a deep believer in service and being creative. I, I, don't think I would be a healthy person if I didn't have my creative pursuits. And I say that very broadly because I know some people don't connect to the word creativity. They maybe think of it as like, oh, I'm not creative. I believe deeply that all humans are creative. Every time anything comes out of our mouth, we're creating. Every time we step out into the world, we're creating. And so I invite people to, to let that story about what quote unquote creativity is and let it dissolve being on a show like this and getting to be in flow state and connect with you and share my story. That's a beautiful creative experience for me, writing, making stupid YouTube videos, sharing dumb cat memes. That is part of how I believe I am being in service to the world because I believe hilarity and love are two very important things to be modeling in the world. So anyway, that is also a big, big part of my well-being. And I invite people into that. Oh, I love all of those. And in the way that I know you, they all make so much sense. (laughs) Thank you. I take that as a compliment. (laughs) Totally. It's meant as a compliment. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Thrivers, for being here. Be brave, curious, kind, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, everyone. We've come to the end, my friends. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Nine to Thrive, the well-being podcast. I really appreciate you listening. I invite you to follow and like this show on whatever platform you're using. If you like today's episode, please share it with a friend, share it on social media, or write a review. My goal is to provide useful information that will help you to thrive and flourish, and I always welcome your feedback. If you want to receive more strategies to increase your well-being in your inbox each month, head over to my website, juliefishercoaching.com and sign up for my newsletter. Until next time, take care, Thrivers.